0: ID. I, I'm not sure what's legal about it, but so here it goes. You're listening to
1: um, WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, legally. I'm not a normal girl. I'm an angry, sweaty girl, so bite me. Oh, but I think that's supposed to be a good specialty, so I should be happy, right? I should
0: count my blessings. But anyway, the point of all this is you're listening to wcbn Okay.
1: Afternoon, you've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, I'm so pleased to have joining us via phone, Hisham Matar. Um, Hisham, welcome.
0: Hello. Hi.
1: Hi. Hi. And where where are, are you speaking to us from? New York City. I am. Yeah. And and um and and what what borough is yours, or are you at work right now? Are you? I am.
0: I am in uh, in 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 Manhattan, and um, it's been raining all day, and. Uh, sky is very cloudy. Um,
1: oh and is the wind is the wind quite blustery too? Cause a that's bit.
0: A bit, yeah. Th- a bit. It's um it's hard not to feel under siege when you're in New York because it's um everything seems to be um uh expressing itself very forcefully. It's not a it's not a very subtle city, but um it has its charm.
1: <laughs> and and you know it you know it quite well and you were actually born born in the city.
0: Well, yes, I was born here, but actually, I don't know it well. This is the first time I live in it as a, a as an adult you know my when my parents left, I was three years old um so um and from the time that I was three till now um I've perhaps spent a total if you put all of the visits to New York over these years of probably total three weeks or something uh oh. of being spent in new york so this is really the first time that I live in the city uh, um as an adult, and um, I've always had this sort of slightly um, 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 uncomfortable relationship with New York. Um, How's that? Well, in the sense that everybody I know loves it. You know, it's one of those cities that provokes um, huge enthusiasm. People love (laughs) to tell you how they love it. And and even people who live in it love to continually tell you how how much they love it. So it's obviously a a city that... um, that solicits this very powerful feeling and uh, sense of loyalty to it and so on. And most of my friends are no exception. They feel that way about it. And certainly my family um, feel, are very fond of New York City. But I've never been fond of it. And so I've, I always <laughs> feel slightly guilty that I'm not fond of it. <laughs> but um, it doesn't, I admire it. There's a lot of things I like about it. Um, but it doesn't, um, it it it, it's. It, I don't know if it agrees with me. I, I find myself. I'm very rarely enchanted in it. You know, I, I rarely sort of see something and think, "Wow!" and I stop. And which, uh, and I like cities that I that, that enchant me. You know, um, that um, uh, to me, that's a big part of what it means to live in a city.
1: And so it's it's not even just because I was thinking maybe it was the rhythms of the place. You know how there's those in, yeah. interior rhythms, or yeah. uh, but but it's actually something uh, visual with the enchantment of it. Do you, do you feel that way in in London or Cairo or Tripoli or?
0: Yes, I, I mean, and, um, <coughs> it, it, the rhythm is part of it in a sense. You know, there is that very relentless, famous uh, New York rhythm. Um that, on some level, fetishizes impatience, you know, and it sort of um glamorizes uh the the person who has no time for anyone um, <laughs> right. and and I, I i have never personally found impatience attractive um at all um mm-hmm. and so um so the 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 rhythm does have something to do with with that quality um Having said that, people are incredibly, you know, um, nice and open and, and, and generous and friendly. Um, but in the uh, cities that enchant me, well, London does enchant me. Um, uh, th- there are the, the, the public, the spaces for public engagement uh, in London are, um, uh, are many. And so they, they change how one interacts with the city. Uh, because ultimately, for me, the metropolis is not about just you know uh, the things, uh, the services and the culture that exist in it, but they're also, it's also about the street. It's also about the parks and about these um, opportunities for uh, us to 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 meet in the square, as it were, you know, in the in the in the in the ancient Greek sense, you know, the square in which ideas are exchanged and you meet people that you hadn't uh to, to meet and um uh, it, but in the but but when you live in a city where you are very much um given a great deal of choice about who you meet bizarrely what it does it sort of makes you makes your horizon slightly smaller because you're forever choosing mm-hmm. who you see who you don't see, so you move in circles of extraordinary familiarity and um mm. and i think You know, uh, all metropolises around the world are struggling with that. How do you keep this ancient idea alive where you are uh, putting citizens in contact with other citizens that they didn't anticipate to meet, you know, people of different classes or even people with with different interests? Um, And I certainly value value that. And even that in London is corroding, but it it exists. Um, Cairo, I think, probably has it to an extent that no other city that I know well at least has it. In Cairo, you're forever meeting people that you have very little in common with, hmm. um, and it's it's fantastic. It's wonderful, um, um, just because of how um, the nature of the street in Cairo, the nature of the interactions and uh, and people's um, attitude and culture.
1: And, and is this sort of what part of the lifeblood of your your fiction, your your writing, then?
0: I suppose. I mean, I, you know, I I I I need the city. You know, I've always felt very um, comfortable being in great metropolises, and um, and um, for me, there is a connection between the novel and the metropolis in its structure, in its um, in exactly what we were talking about. This this not no not ex- not being in, totally in charge of what happens next, <laughs> uh, you know? And I, 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 part of that um, I enjoy very much, you know, and I, I love that about writing novels, and I write that way. I don't plan and plot the novel uh, ahead of time, as some authors do. Um, there, I mean, it seems to me that there 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 are many different ways to write a novel, but perhaps two, two, uh, uh, two ways of doing it, uh, or the most common ways of doing it is that... Um, you know, there are authors that spend a long time thinking about a book and plotting it and architecturally designing it, and then they start uh, writing. Uh, I think it was uh, Iris Murdoch who had said that um, something like, you know, all the work is done uh, by the moment I sit down, write the first sentence, <laughs> you know. Um, and I know, for example novelists um novelists that I that I enjoy and admire people like um Ishiguro for example yes. he, he does that he he plans everything and then writes the novel in 6 months or something you know um and uh, you know there's so many examples of people who do it that way and there's also so many examples of people who um um do what I do which is that I, I start with very little I start with a feeling sometimes or just a or just a a, a gesture or um, or or a a um, you know a particular moment and sometimes just a sentence um, i mean just i mean a sentence is a great deal yes. to work with but you know and and using that sentence um certainly in my 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 last book Anatomy of a disappearance um started with with a with a feeling that then uh, it meant that I spent a year writing to try to write my way into this feeling.
1: And was this feeling connected to the boy, Hisham? Will you mind? Would you mind telling us? Because we, when we come back from our break, we'll if you don't mind, we'll hear um, the the beginning of Anatomy of a Disappearance, your novel.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. But, yeah.
1: but did the feeling start with the boy? Oh, this.
0: The feeling started with the man with, with the man, uh, with okay. Muri, uh, uh who is an adult recalling certain parts of his uh, uh, earlier life from childhood, oh, yes. to young adulthood, yes. and yes, I had a feeling for him, and I wanted to 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 uh, enter his his world and. It was after that year of writing that I hit on the first sentence, and I felt that I had everything I needed. I could use that sentence to write the next one and so on. And so not knowing what's going to happen, is important for me. Oh, it excites me and it, it, mo- it, it motivates my imagination. And that's a parallel that I see with the metropolis. Um, you know, you walk out of your house and you bump into somebody. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you thought you were going somewhere, but maybe now you're going somewhere else. Um, it's not always a welcome thing, but a lot of times it's actually very exciting. <laughs> yeah.
1: That is true. Yeah. That is exactly true. And I don't think I've ever really thought about that as much. And in in our in our small town, well, Ann Arbor. Um, yeah, which
0: I love. It's a fantastic town.
1: You don't have to just say that. No,
0: absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I love I love Ann Arbor. I, that issue of enchantment that we were talking about. Yes. I feel it there. Yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> oh, what what are some of those enchantments? Then? Well, the trees,
0: you know, and the, and and the the the, the river, and I um, where I stayed when I was there last time, I could see. Um, a long way, um so uh-huh. I could see I stayed in a hotel, I think, on the sixth floor, and I could see the trees and they were all different colors. It was just it 's beautiful, gorgeous, but also, I think places have that mysterious thing that you can 't put your finger on it 's sort of a quality of silence or a quality of being in a place and Ann Arbor felt um you know a, a gentle meditative kind of Stillness to it um, uh, that I perceived, and and I immediately thought, you know, I could I could write here, which is not something I usually think. in ah. a few places that one feels that.
1: Yes. Uh, so
0: so yeah. no, I'm not I'm not just being uh, I'm not I'm not being um, I'm not being nice. I'm not usually very nice. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, well, I, well, first of all, I don't believe you. Now, although nice is is a terrible word, actually, isn't it? It's, it's, al- yeah. it's, it's almost yeah. insulting, isn't it? Sort of. I, I get riled up if anyone ever calls me nice. But
0: I'll make sure I don't call <laughs> you that. <too.
1: laughs> yeah. At least for the the first conversation, right? Well, well, let's take a short break, and then and then we'll 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 come back. And um, and Hisham, will you mind reading then for? Us from Anatomy of a Disappearance. Not at
0: all. No, it's a pleasure.
1: Okay. Okay. We'll take this short break. You're listening to Living Writers today on the program, Hisham Matar and his novel Anatomy of a Disappearance. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. And today on the program, um, I'm lucky to be speaking with Hisham Mattar, um, calling calling in from New York City, his novel Anatomy of a Disappearance. And thanks to Brian Delaney for being in the engineering seat. Uh, Brian will soon be moving to Buffalo and he will be greatly missed here. Um Hisham, you know, I just realized I haven't read the short bio in the back of Anatomy of a Disappearance. And if you don't mind, I'd like to start with that. (laughs) Okay. Um, I feel like we must we 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 covered most of it. But just just to give um, uh, people a a quick glimpse into the bio here. Hisham Matar was born in New York City to Libyan parents and spent his childhood first in Tripoli and then in Cairo. His first novel, In the Country of Men, was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize, the Guardian First Book Award, and the National Book Critics Circle Award. It won six international literary awards, including the Commonwealth Writers' Prize, Best First Book Award for Europe and South Asia, the Royal Society of Literature Andace Prize, and the inaugural Arab American Book Award. It has been translated into 28 languages. Matar lives in London and serves as an adjunct associate professor at Barnard College in New York City. Um, and he's not nice. <laughs> nice, nice is so far away. <laughs> and so, yes, and those the people will get that who are listening to the first quarter of the show. <laughs> um, but perhaps because you're so not nice, you'll you'll will you read for us? Because is the first sentence of the book actually the sentence you meant? Yes, um,
0: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. know yeah, it is. Um, and I, uh, yeah. So I will start from the beginning and uh, read the first couple of pages of the book. There are times when my father's absence is as heavy as a child sitting on my chest. Other times I can barely recall the exact features of his face and must bring out the photographs I keep in an old envelope in the drawer of my bedside table. There has not been a day since his sudden and mysterious vanishing that I have not been searching for him, looking in the most unlikely places. Everything and everyone, existence itself, has become an evocation, a possibility for resemblance. Perhaps this is what is meant by that brief and now almost archaic word, elegy. I do not see him in the mirror, but feel him adjusting, as if he were twisting within a shirt that nearly fits. My father has always been intimately mysterious, even when he was present, I can almost imagine how it might have been coming to him as an equal, as a friend, but not quite. My father disappeared in 1972, at the beginning of my school Christmas holiday, when I was 14. Mona and I were staying at the Montreux Palace, taking breakfast, I with my large glass of bright orange juice, and she with her steaming black tea on the terrace overlooking the steel-blue surface of Lake Geneva. At the other end of which, beyond the hills and the bending waters, lay the now vacant city of Geneva. I was watching the silent paragliders hover above the still lake, and she was paging through Le Tribune de Genève, when suddenly her hand rose to her mouth and trembled. A few minutes later, we were aboard a train, hardly speaking, passing the newspaper back and forth. We collected from the police station the few belongings that were left on the bedside table. When I unsealed the small plastic bag, along with the tobacco and the lighter flint, I smelled him. That same watch is now wrapped around my wrist, and even today, after all these years, when I press the underside of the leather strap against my nostrils, I can detect a whiff of him. I wonder now how different my story would have been were Munna's hands unbeautiful, her fingertips coarse. I still, all of these years later, hear the same childish persistence. I saw her first, which bounced like a devil on my tongue whenever I caught one of father's claiming gestures, his fingers sinking into her hair, his hand landing on her skirted thigh with the absent-mindedness of a man touching his earlobe in mid-sentence. He had taken to the Western habit of holding hands, kissing, embracing in public, but he could not fool me. Like a bad actor, he seemed unsure of his steps. Whenever he would catch me watching him, he would look away and I swear I could see color in his cheeks. A dark tenderness rises in me now as I think how hard he had tried, how I yearn still for an easy sympathy with my father. Our relationship lacked what I have always believed possible, given time and perhaps after I had become a man, after he had seen me become a father, a kind of emotional eloquence and ease. But now the distances that had then governed our interactions and cut a quiet gap between us continue to shape him in my thoughts.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Hisham that was I I could I could listen to you read for the rest of the program you know <laughs> we, could, we could just have this be not this could be a book on tape for people <laughs> and and I and and maybe it was also the the beautiful the music that led into it and you talking yeah. about stillness a little could could you tell us about the cuz you you picked the songs as well
0: yes um well that was um you know, it, uh, music is uh, an incredibly important part of my life, and the piece that you're referring to is "Nacht und Trom or "Night and Dream" by uh, Schubert, um, and it's a it's a very unusual song. In many senses, I mean, I feel it's very difficult to to come up with a, a more perfect song that has ever been written. It's just, um, you know, where the synthesis between the music and the words um, is so fine and ambiguous and mysterious. Um, So the song is about the night. Um, In fact, the first words are holy night, you sink down, dreams too drift down, like your moonlight through space, through the quiet hearts of men, they listen with delight, calling out when day weakens return holy night fair dreams return and yeah yeah, and 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 the music also seems to kind of evoke this uh, this very simple yet incredibly mysterious thing we all know about the night that Mm. it does seem like a different country like it has a, a completely different state of state of uh existential state and um And uh, this yearning for the consolation with sleep and with dream. And it just, it does all of that incredibly well. Um, And... um um, yes, and and it was actually uh, accidental. But it, it, it's 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 uh, that you know we didn't know that I was going to read e- immediately after that song, uh, or maybe you did. Maybe maybe you you set it up that way. But no, uh, no, <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> it was serendipitous. I think. <laughs> yeah.
0: But there's that quality too. To um, I mean, I'm not for a moment comparing my work to to the song. But but um, I, I am uh, comparing more the state of the atmosphere at yes. the beginning of the book. This deep sense of trying to consolidate with the past.
1: Yes, and 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 was so. Were you also? Is this perhaps a song that you that was infusing the the writing of the book? Because it was almost like it was there in your world. You were listening to it. It was maybe you you went to it for that that sense
0: no in fact i've i've um i've um i've never really made that direct conscious de- uh, mm. uh, connection until now between the opening and and the song um mm. but this song has been um a very dear song to me for many many years um um it's my favorite uh Schubert leader that's for sure um
1: and and you, uh, you said a perfect song. <laughs> the, yeah, it,
0: it, yeah I, I really do think it, it comes very close to being perfect. It's, uh, it's uh, astonishingly um, ambiguous. And, and, and it, you know, in the sense that, you know, when you encounter a great work of art, you feel that one of the things that it's doing is that it is opening a way for you into other things. That, In other words, that a great work of art has to be filled with resonance, Mm. um, and uh, it has to call things that that are beyond itself, which is why intrinsically I think art is always generous. It's not in praise of itself or or of its creator. It's always in praise of the world and of other things. Um, So I, I do think that art ultimately is praise. It's an act of praise, but it's also... A, a, a generous gesture into other realities and other ways of being, and this song is is is, is 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 so. When I say perfect, I just wanted to make it clear to your listeners what I meant by that. Is that to me, it, it seems a song that uh, calls onto itself so much, um, and and seems to to. Uh, use our imagination almost to the fullest you know uh, by by provoking so many different uh images and, and feelings and notions
1: and what are the images that come to you
0: well the, you know it, it, from this song the i mean it's, the, the 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 solitude in it is is, uh, is very very clear and profound um the both the beauty uh but also the magnitude of the night um and the, the 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 both terrible and haunting and promising longing of wanting to be reunited with one's dreams you know and mm-hmm. and that of course that word dreams means many different things depending on when we listen to it you know at some point in my life it meant one thing and now it means something else and, and that sort of movable quality of it is, um, I think, um, ingenious, really. Yeah. So, so put it onto your YouTube or buy it and listen <laughs> to it. <laughs> I recommend it highly.
1: <laughs> it's true, and this particular performance of it too. It was the one that you had uh, requested, the Dietrich Fischer, yes. Yes. Uh, yes, I uh, Gerald yeah. yeah. Gerald Moore. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's uh, he,
0: he I mean he's made them his own in many ways the the Schubert leaders. Uh, he's done them very well and there are other people that uh are slightly more idiosyncratic but he's he's I think um uh, he does it very properly and he does something else that is um uh it's a very difficult it's a very easy song to senti- to to do sentimentally so one of the traps it seems yes. in doing this song is not to do it too slow if you do it too slow then you risk it becoming rather sort of sweet and petty um and i think his timing is very interesting how he does it it's it's a little bit faster than most versions that i've heard at least um and by doing that surprisingly it 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 it's it, it It has um you know a very different feel to it um,
1: and, and, yeah. wh- and when did you learn the words
0: um well i um i, I trying to remember years ago you know when I became interested in it i don't speak german so i don't i don't know what you know, I didn't know what the words meant when I first heard it. Yes, uh, but I was just haunted by the feeling of it, and I—I I didn't even know what it was about. But it obviously felt very nocturnal, and um, and uh, you know, uh, to uh, a young. Uh, um, Romantic, slightly pessimistic uh, teenager. <laughs> it was uh, amazing. And uh, but as he got older, I lost some of my romanticism and my pessimism, and I started really trying to engage with it. It sustained its interest. You in know, very few things that one hears. You know, when you're 18, or you know, things that you encounter when you're 18 and you think amazing, usually afterwards you realize they're completely vacuous. And <laughs> see it, at least in my <laughs> case. But,
1: but amazing at the moment, yes. Yeah. Yes, that, that Depeche Mode really was meaningful then.
0: Yeah, yes. yeah they, were, they were incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but, uh, you know, this has sustained. And uh, at some point, I forget when, I, I looked up the translation. Yeah,
1: and then, and you took and then you took it into your memory as well. It's a, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it helps me listen to it. You know, when I listen to it, um, to to know when he's pausing at which word. Why Why does he? You know, because he's putting emotion in the words, and the music is is expressing the emotion in the words. Because this was a poem that Schubert chose and and wrote uh, the music for. So it's definitely nothing is accidental here. yeah.
1: And we, and we will take a short break and we'll come back and and realize that nothing is accidental. <laughs> um, today on the program, Hisham Matar is speaking to us from New York City, his novel Anatomy of a Disappearance. You've got living writers. We'll be right back.
0: يا جرح قلبي،
1: الجرح يلمني. قلبي بعد
0: قلبي يا يا جرح قلبي.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to WCBN FM, Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel and today Hisham Matar joins us from by phone from New York City. Hisham. Um, Thanks so much for being on the program, too, today. Oh,
0: it's yeah. a pleasure. It's,
1: it's, 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 the, the time is actually flying by so quickly. <laughs> I, I can't believe it. As Brian's helping me out with the time now. He's holding up signs five minutes and this and that. And <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, there's music in your writing um, as well, in the movement of the language. Um, yeah,
0: well, that's... Um, um, I. I to me music the musicality of the prose is incredibly important and um but also uh, silence is incredibly uh, significant um in what i am trying to do um and music um see the thing in music is that uh, there is silence in music but the silence in music is written yes uh, and and you know exactly what the, the you can measure it you can sense its shape um, yes, and it's used. You know, certain composers. I think. You know, when it comes to silence, Beethoven. I think, for me, uh, uh, you know, is just he really knows how to use silence and understands its ability and its um, the possibilities in it and its significance. Um, but in prose, the silence is not written. Of course, there are punctuation. But but I don't mean in that sense. But. Uh, uh, Silence is sort of—it's not inserted between the words. Sometimes it is, but more, the silence that I am more interested in is the silence that sort of hovers or is just beneath or beside or the the, the text. A, 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 a way to a way that I might be able to explain what I'm trying to say is that we all know that silence doesn't—not all silences sound the same. We know that certain silences have a. Hmm a different tenor to them. Uh so for example, you know, when I am sitting with a, 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 an intimate friend and we're quiet together, that silence is very different from the same silence from the same uh, kind of encounter with another intimate friend uh or maybe with a member of my family or maybe the silence in a train or the silence in uh, a lecture hall or um Mm-hmm. And, and so silence itself is communicating something all the time, and that's where a very clever conductor tries to, to do with with somebody like Beethoven, uh, to try to provoke certain sentiments and and emotions out of the silence. And I know that when I'm reading novels by writers that I admire, that that silence is always there, and I'm always have always been interested and curious how. How, how how does that how is that created how is that silence created um slightly easier to spot in poetry i think poetry yes. is much better at using it um but um you know, so so with the with when i was thinking about the sound of the prose for anatomy of a disappearance i was also thinking about the the sound of the silence um and trying to to get that to try to to sense what m- my protagonist nuri who's also the narrator uh nuri elfi uh is like when he's silent what it would be like to be sitting beside him uh, uh that that sort of uh, t- t- that sort of thing for me was was
1: more more significant and would it be so um because I'm, I'm, I think I'm on the cusp of understanding. Um, because well, with poems, I feel like I can say yes, but it's a feeling. I'm not sure I could articulate it, it to you. Um, but, but with, I'm wondering also, so then it's the, what is the prose is creating then because if it's beneath it and next to it, it, it's, it's, well, I guess that's obvious to say it's so dependent on what what is there? Um, and maybe, maybe in the novels also, the silences, I wondered literally like, what are those, the feeling between the chapters, if there's that hover like that, cause that, cause there's like a dramatic silence in a way.
0: Yes. I mean, there is a, there are silences that are easier to speak about to do with the punctuation and the way that you divide sections. Um, there are other ones that are slightly more difficult to, to pinpoint and they are um that what you're right in the sense that it's provoked by what's put in, everything is provoked by what's put in. But um what you put in, the words that you choose, the number of the words, the rhythm of of mm. of, of, of the sentences affects um the the, the the silence that is that is surrounding them and the silence that is between them Um,
1: yes uh, uh,
0: but also there's this other silence that occurs when you put the book down not necessarily you've finished it but you've put it down to go and have supper or do whatever and uh, and it leaves there's a quality of its atmosphere and its silence that lingers a little bit Uh, because ultimately I think that's what we're all trying to do is we're trying to get to the (laughs) reason we're trying to linger we're trying to try to <laughs> never let the reader go. <laughs> um and um and and silence plays a role in, in, in that. Um um but you know it's also it exists in all music, actually silence. It's also there's another way of talking about it is that uh we you know, as soon as a piece of music stops there is a certain kind of quality to the silence that is different. Uh uh, than just ordinary silence or a silence after another piece of music.
1: Well, you can definitely tell that you're you're a poet as well, um, as a as a fiction writer. I, I I don't think I really I did not I I hadn't realized that before. I read Anatomy of a Disappearance um, when, and you also are an essayist, so so you're also working in in that form what when did you is it something that you've always you've always been writing Hisham uh, in, and do you go are you writing in all these different forms uh, at the same time or what um, sort of what's your history with that and, and when are the poems coming in and because there is like the lyrical I think I'm understanding more what you're saying about the silence too when I'm thinking about how the sentences are constructed um, v- when you were saying the word choice, that it's it's something was making definite sense to me um, so I guess now I've asked you about five questions and, and not <laughs> stop talking so <laughs> I'll do that now
0: <laughs> well uh- I you know I, when I was very young I liked I liked language um and my parents um uh loved reading and reading out loud to us and there was obvious it was obvious to me that having a delight in language was something that was quite natural it wasn't um uh, a peculiar activity <laughs> so you know um so when a poem was read out loud it was you know it was it was a, a pleasurable experience, and it was the, the pleasure was expressed in the reading. And so we had these very uh, uh, ridiculous, incredibly dramatic readings of poems. <laughs> 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 some some, some can, of them are poems that really don't deserve the effort at all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can you can you give us an example? I, well, uh, most of it is Arabic
0: poetry. So, it, um, but um, I remember uh, the first time my father read. To me, uh, El Sayyab, who's the um, who is the sort of Iraqi poet uh, of the early uh, tw- 20th century that uh, is often compared um, to T.S. Eliot, you know, uh, in the sense that in he what he did in the Arabic language to the Arabic language ah. and to uh, contemporary verse uh, and the free verse and so on, uh, you know, there are some parallels there. But I'm not entirely sure. How useful the comparison is, but I mean, in some extent, it, the, the, there is some some good reasons for it. Um, and he read me a, a a poem by him, and I just um, called "Rain Song," which actually is included in the book. Uh, I, I think I quoted it in the book. <sighs> um, and and I just I didn't really uh, understand the poem. Uh, I it must have been about twelve or eleven, and I, I didn't I I had no idea what the was talking about. Um, I had no tools to access it. I, it felt impenetrable and um, and uh, just beyond my reach. But I also sensed that there was something incredibly valuable going on here, and something uh, also uh, very pleasurable and. Sincere and authentic true yes uh, and 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 i, and I don 't know whether I felt that because of the way my father read it or because of the expression in his face or because how the rest of the room reacted or or it was the pleasure of the actual words you know um, and then I started uh, you know uh, writing poetry. Uh, As a a, a young boy, to mainly to amuse my parents because they were very encouraging. And so, if we went on a holiday, I'd write a poem about the place, and uh, Uh. they would uh, celebrate it. Uh, And uh, I wrote these very funny single act plays that I would act (laughs) them out with my brother, and we would, um, you know, you know things. It was just mainly it was. I never thought of it as a particularly serious activity i thought of it as a as a as a fun thing to do and so i really never <laughs> considered the possibility of um earning a keep you know out of uh, uh, writing uh, having it a, you know being uh, looking at literature as a profession i never because i come from a generation of of arabs that um uh, you know that m- we still, the society still sees writing as a a hobby, as, you know, as a dalitant, it's not a, a proper profession. You could compare us with the time that those um, uh, giants of Latin American literature, uh, you know, in the early, you know, in the, in the mid-20th century, they came into that. We often Forget that people like Mario Vargas Llosa and Carlos Fuentes and Garcia Marquez. That one of the things that they did—I mean, obviously—one of the things that they equate the, the the next generation of Latin American writers isn't just these wonderful books, but also the respectability of of you know of being being a writer. That it is a proper job, and they all of them write about that. You know that you wake up in the morning and you do this. And they 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 <laughs> stress they stress the prof- you know pr- professionalism of it. Because they were writing in a time when the rest of the society saw writing as either journalism or idiosyncratic poetry, or you know, they didn't see it as something that you do every day. And um, and the Arabic uh, atmosphere has that about it now. Um, so my generation of writers are struggling to to establish. Uh, not only their, their, their voices, but also our, our the, the, the respectability of the profession. You know, <laughs> so um, so I, you know, so when I was a young boy, I didn't think about, oh yeah, I know what to do. I'm going to be a novelist. I thought about. The other things I loved, which were music and architecture, and I had no talent for music. I have some talent to listen. I think you do need some talent <laughs> to listen, but I have no talent to play music. And my poor parents really did try to uh, get me to play music, and uh, I—they didn't have to try hard because I was very keen. Um, and uh, but uh, <clears throat> but I it just wasn't very very successful. But um, but. Architecture. I was I was I was decent at it, and so I I studied it and um, became an architect and worked as an architect for about seven years whilst writing. Um, and once my writing um, uh, took off, I I uh, I let go. I let go of architecture.
1: And was the writing by that? Do you do you mean um, the the in the country of men, or do you mean that? essays that you were writing or what, what, what moment was that? Was it the Booker Prize? Was it the... Uh, No,
0: it was writing in the country of men. I, I started writing it, um, besides, you know, my, my day job and, um, and I, um, and then that didn't really quite work. So I, um, I really had to take the plunge. I had to let go of my profession without having a manuscript or an agent or a publisher or anything. Wow. Um oh, and so um yeah. yeah, it was um it was uh, crazy but um <laughs> but necessary. You know, I, I didn't know how else to write it. Um so I went and lived very frugally somewhere and um and wrote the book. Um and then you know, so that all of that took about five years. Um, the starting the book and giving up architecture and then finishing the book, and, and then I, I, you know, I was lucky enough to to find an agent and a publisher who um, liked the book, and uh, and, it, and it was published. So so the the decision happened way before any of that, though. It happened uh, um, before any any. Um, before knowing that the book would ever get published.
1: But you knew, you were sure about the feeling that you had in the making of it and that it was a thing itself already, in a sense. It sounds like. Yes, but not only the
0: book, but also, um, you know, I, I, had made, I had made my vow to literature. You know, I, I said that uh, I'm going to try to do this and I'm going to cheat myself out of that position of one day saying oh you know had I only had the time I would have uh. been able to write a decent book you know so I thought no I'm going to rob myself of that and <laughs> um, and uh, really you know do d- give it give it my best shots and see what happens and um, uh, and so but, but what's interesting about the vow to literature is that you make it once and you make extraordinary sacrifices for it and you think that's it. You don't have to make it again. Oh. But actually, you're always making it. You're always making it. Do you find that?
1: Even, even sometimes with, with people you might want to spend time with or with... Um, I, I don't... I, yes, I I do. Is that is that what you meant, Hisham? Or yeah. You,
0: when you say people you want to spend time with, you mean that you have to sacrifice spending time with them in order to go and work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No. Yeah. And, and also just... Um, um, Invitations to be, you know, invitations to become an academic or invitations to become uh, yes. to become a commentator. You know, I I, I write, I uh, I have written articles and essays, but but not many, and I I enjoy some of them a great deal, particularly the essays.
1: Why is, um, why so? What does that yeah? What does that allow?
0: Well, it depends what the essay is about. Uh, the the memoir one The memoir uh, essays of which I've written a a, a few, I mean, I don't remember how many, but um, what's interesting about them is that you actually realize as you're trying to recall a particular event or moment or place, that you're actually, in recalling it, you are reinventing it. Mm. That when people say, uh, particularly if you write my two novels, um... Touch on themes that have resonance in my own life, so for that reason, people some people have thought them oh, autobiographical, uh, and they 're not autobiographical, but what's, they're not autobiographical at all. Uh, but what 's interesting about that question is that it 's a very familiar question. Novelists are always being asked, "Has this happened? Has this happened to you or somebody you know? But when you try to sit and write an autobiographical essay. Uh, you begin to realize that actually everything is fiction. Yes. <laughs> you know, that even when you sit and try to recall a particular thing, you're making it up. You're trying to remember it. And the way you remember it is influenced by so many things that have happened in the intervening time um, and and by other things to do with sensibility and, and focus. And um, So th- those have been interesting in that sense, and also because... My experience of having lost my country and having lost people i know and uh, and having lived outside of my country for the majority of my life, um, writing autobiographical essays felt like a an attempt at at snatching back things back from oblivion on some i mean it 's futile but it 's an interesting attempt at least um, yeah um, and the essays to do with with literature and art and those, I mean, I haven't written many. I've only written a couple or so, but those have been very enjoyable because they are um, they're good mental exercises, you know, intellectual exercises. You have to sort of think very carefully about something that you are uh, giving it your attention. Um, the articles uh, I don't enjoy as much. Those I've been doing mainly uh, out of a sort of civic sense of responsibility either about human rights issues or so on. I feel it's important to do them but I can't with all honesty say that I get a pleasure from, a creative pleasure from doing it. I don't, I don't find any creative pleasure in it at all. It's all about stating facts and arguments and being as calm but as clear and, and emphatic as possible. And, um,
1: as a witness, um, really.
0: Yeah, I was, exactly. A witness. I'm glad to do it. I, I feel... I really do feel a civic responsibility to do it, but uh, but um, you know it's, my focus is mainly. I mean my my uh, my m- my focus is fiction, and, uh, but occasionally those other essays too.
1: And and to, and those would those have been the pieces for the L.A. Times or sometimes the the Guardian or?
0: Uh, the, yes, and yeah. the the New Yorker and. and the uh, the Guardian has really been the the place that I've uh, written probably more for than anywhere else, um, <clears throat> and some magazine pieces, you know, the FT, and so on.
1: And 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 what about then the poems? Where do the poems fit in with this? Because it feels like the calling is your your imagination and the the heart the 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 that is most alive in fiction perhaps where where do the what about the poems hisham
0: well i i feel that uh, you know since i've I started writing prose last, about um 11 or 12 years ago um i um i've often been asked you know do you miss poetry or particularly by poet friends who feel that I've betrayed them you know <laughs> <laughs> do you miss poetry or 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 by uh, architect friends right. who say uh, do you miss architecture <laughs> and you know, honestly i i miss neither in the sense that i do feel <laughs> that um i haven't left I, right. I haven't left poetry and i haven't left architecture that involved in what i do in 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 writing a novel um the things that I love about poetry are being exercised in it. Uh, not to say that my prose is verse, but, but my concerns about language and about music and rhythm and
1: yes.
0: what to tell, what not to tell. Um, yes. I feel those are, uh, I'm dealing with those every day uh, in my work. And with architecture, architecture ultimately, what, what has always fascinated me about architecture And I think I would argue what fascinates most architects about architecture is not actually bricks and mortar. It's how do people live? How do people live in buildings and how you could alter how people live or how you could change a little bit how somebody sits and maybe Uh that might have an influence on their state of mind or how they work or how they do certain things. Uh, Um, And so... um, and and then all of the other kind of um obsessive things about architecture you know the the structure and geometry and you <laughs> all of those things are um i feel they are involved
1: in, they have their in, place in, in the novel, yeah. yes
0: so i don't feel i've i have um have left them i've given them up in some way i don't feel that at all i feel in fact i'm uh incredibly fortunate to be uh to have arrived at a as a genre or as a, at a um you know at writing novels that because they employ all of those things that I'm interested in. Um, now, I think had I not been interested in music or architecture, maybe then I would have been a really good poet. You
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> why, I wonder. What What do you mean?
0: <laughs> in the sense that, you know, th- then I would have been a poet rather than a novelist. In the sense that part of why I'm a novelist is because... Oh, the
1: fusion of these others. The yeah. others? yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, uh, and it seems like the... So I'm I'm go- thinking about the feeling that you say from the novel and that you started with in that one sentence, um, because that that one sentence. The f- and let's see, I'm I'm flipping to it here. There are times when my father's absence is as heavy as a child sitting on my chest. This so this is a feeling that you know um, because that that's an intersection directly. That, that of a feeling you know from life. Um,
0: um, no, I wouldn't say that's how I feel.
1: Oh no, um, no. Okay, no. okay. But
0: but it's what. But that was an. That was a, a key into this the character. psychology and the mm-hmm. reality of. It's almost like the DNA of the book, but also the psychology and the, D- the reality of Nuri. It seemed. It seemed putting it that way says so much to me, at least about uh, his sense. Of his own life, the sense of the past, but also the sense of the future, and his relationship to the past, his father, and the relationship to the future, yes. the child, and it, it's, um, and and it seems that to be able to communicate that, plus having this very direct, uh, you know. Um, uh, image of, of of a child sitting on his chest see if he were to say my child sitting on my chest it would be completely different yes, yes. there's a, a playful thing about that but that child or like a child sitting on my chest um, it changes things and um, and so I'm you know I don't want to um, I don't want to analyze my own uh, prose because I think it's a very bizarre activity uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but just to try to say something about uh, why that sentence um, seemed to to communicate a lot to me about about nuri
1: well it seemed c- yes because I, I think and as I think more about it hisham and and i don't i don't i hope i'm not making you uncomfortable by trying to not analyze it but be staying with it um uh the that it almost seems to imply that the that With Nuri saying this, that he feels that he was also this heaviness on his own father's chest during his father's life.
0: Uh, Yes, I I, mean, that's, um, you know, in the sense that most children um, end up feeling responsible for their parents at some point. I don't mean just in the logistical sort of taking care of, making sure they're okay, uh, seeing to their needs, but I mean almost in an existential sense, yes. that our existence in the world has helped make them who they are. You know, we can't quite get rid of this uh, notion that on some level we are huh. too, we are also, we are children, but we're also parents. Our, our parents become our children at some time i don't mean just through age and then becoming frail and needing us more but i mean almost that our living experience has helped make them who they are for for better or for worse you know but yes and i think that's why families and why i am interested in families and my both of my books for me ultimately are about uh about families um rather than about you know the things that most people say um they're about, such as Libya or politics, or stuff. So. To me, no. They're, to me, they're mostly about how people um, within the family structure engage and deal with one another uh, and face various different difficulties to do with what intimacy demands and what estrangement demands. And, and it seems to me that one of the most interesting things about families is how deeply implicated we are in each other's lives. That, regardless what we might want to do, you know, like we hear about people who have cut off their family and disappeared, or yes. you know, even that act,
1: but not in act, their consciousness.
0: No, exactly. But even that act is an act of, of, of uh, th- th- that implicates one even further into things. <laughs> no, yes. in the sense <laughs> that there's no way that you could resign. Uh uh-uh. uh You know, you can't resign. You can't say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm we're getting a divorce. I don't you know. Everybody goes their own way. You can't do that with 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 your old flesh and blood it's somehow it's it's more um, uh, and so something about that is, is interesting because of how much it demands from us to try to understand and cope and deal with people that might actually be very different from us but are bound uh, we're bound together by our, by a our history you know? um, so uh, and I suspect that's why uh, most literature you know uh, I mean, most most novel they 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 focus on 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 families. And where would Shakespeare be without families? <laughs> in many ways, you could read his work as as just a study of of families. You know, um, and you know, um, um, so so it's um, so yeah.
1: Is your is your next novel also then with the fam? Is a family in the is that your next project? Mission?
0: I'm not sure. I I'm, I've started thinking about something and it's all for me it starts all very very frail and uh i don't know how to talk about it i don't know um a lot of times i don't even know how to approach it and i'm forever finding ways because every book has its own uh feeling really uh its own uh atmosphere and demands um and i find books at least the books that i write in the very early days as if like the book is is shy for me, you know, or, <laughs> or maybe sometimes even a little bit upset, and I'm having to f- to find out why, or <laughs> trying to put it at its ease, try to get it to to trust me. Um, so it's a process of initiation for me. Uh, it takes a while. Um, so, well,
1: well, Hisham, uh, this so, is this has been lovely, and let's let's talk again. Would you mind? Another, we'll talk. Wonderful. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And and um, Hisham, stay on the line if you can, so we can say a proper goodbye. Um, but I'll sign off now for Living Writers. Thank you, Hisham. Um, we've we've heard today. We've been talking with Hisham Matar, uh, his novel *Anatomy of a Disappearance*. You've been listening to Living Writers. I'm T Hetzel. Until next time.